Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, what a beautiful day. The sun is out, and, and we get to gather and worship you together. What a wonderful day. And Lord, we rejoice this day that our names are recorded in heaven. Thank you. Lord, we're here on the first day of this week because we are a needy people. We are broken, needy people, and you know our needs, meet our needs, financial needs and physical needs and relational struggles. We all need you. That's what we all share in common is how much we need you. Meet us at our place of need. Lord, as we open up your word together today, Holy Spirit, uh, fall for us and teach us. Forgive the one who sins, for, forgive the one who speaks for sins or many and and as we open up your word, we pray that as Jesus has preached, that you would win the lost and, and build believers and equip workers and multiply disciple makers. Lord, our county has so many people who need to know you. Lord, empower us, equip us, and send us out to share the good news. Lord, we pray for revival in your church, a spiritual awakening in our land. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you're new, we're, we're finishing our study today of the book of Malachi. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. It's the last book in the Older Testament. We're in chapter 4 today. We believe the Bible is God's Word, and we love to open it up and come and see Jesus together. We're glad you're with us to see Jesus with us. In Malachi 4, verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant, and every evildoer will be like chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves uh, from the stall." You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Um, did you ever hear, wait until your dad comes home? When you heard those words, when you heard those words, was that bad news for you or was that good news for you? Which was it? Bad. That's what it was for me. What that meant is I had really messed up. And dad was going to come back, and I was really going to get it then. But like I had a brother who made straight A's. And like when he heard, wait until dad comes home, he knew that dad would see his grades and he would get a reward. I never got rewarded for the grades I got, okay? Listen, when, when you hear, wait until dad comes home, for some that's good news and for some it's bad news. So, so listen, when you hear... When you hear Jesus is coming, is that good news for you or is that bad news? Which is it for you? Do you, do you so look forward to that or, or does that fill you with dread? 
Because that's what we're going to look at today. The point of today's message is that Jesus is coming. That Jesus is coming. And my prayer for everyone here is that when you leave, that would be incredibly good news for you. That we would find ourselves encouraging one another when things are difficult. Jesus is coming. Don't give up. Jesus is coming. That we would find ourselves going out into the community to let people know Jesus is coming. And it's so important to be prepared for that day. Are you prepared? Uh, This morning we finished our study of Malachi. And what we've learned in this book and our study has been that uh, everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. And what we've learned as we've walked through this book is the outline of this book is, are six arguments. Six times God makes a statement, six times the people object, and then God presents his argument. And we're now in the sixth argument where God says, you have no fear of God before your eyes. You don't fear God. And then the people said, well, how's that? And God laid out his case. And we saw that last week. Last week, we learned there's two groups of people, those who don't fear God and those who do fear God. And we learned last week that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And we learned last week how important it is to go where wisdom gathers and avoid where wisdom scatters. And today, we're coming back, it's the same argument, and we're going to learn that Jesus is coming. Thank you, hallelujah. Do you see that in verse 1? For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze. Jesus is coming, the day, that day. Did you know in the Bible there's only two days? Did you know that? In the Bible there's only two days, and those two days are today and that day. And the Bible encourages us to live this day, what, in light of that day. Every day of our life, the today is to be lived in light of that day. This is the last book in the Older Testament, and and the last message of the Older Testament is that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And you know, when we read the Newer Testament, and we come to the last chapter of the Newer Testament, it ends in the same way that the Older Testament ends by teaching us that Jesus is coming. In Revelation 22, verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. The Old Testament, the Newer Testament ends with Jesus promising that he will come back soon. And so the church says to that, amen, come Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming. Uh, We see that again in verse 5, don't we? Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So Jesus is coming, and how can it be both great and terrible at the same time? Do you know how? Oh, it will be great for those who are prepared. It will be a day of unbelievable joy and rejoicing for those who are prepared. It will be a great day for those who are prepared. But for those who are not prepared, it will be a day uh, of dread and great, great sorrow. If it were today, what would it be for you? Would it be a great day or would it be a terrible day? I want you to know the return of Jesus is a major doctrine in the, in the New Testament. Uh, it's mentioned about 300 times, over 300 times, that day, the day. That means about one out of every 13 verses. 
one out of every 13 verses in the New Testament talks about that day. It's very, very important. So Jesus is coming. It's very important. When is he coming? He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Um, people often ask me, Smiley, are, are we in the last days? And uh, yes, we are. We are in the last days. L let me show you that. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we read, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So I want you to hear what it says in the Older Testament, in the Older Testament, God spoke to his people in many different ways through the prophets. But in the Newer Testament or in the last days, the last days in the Bible are the days between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. That time between his first and second coming are called the last days. So are we in the last days? Yes, we are in the last days. The only thing we don't know is what? How last we are in the last days. But I can assure you we are closer to Jesus returning than any Christians have ever been in history, and it could be today. And the only question is, are we prepared? So listen, Jesus is coming. When is he coming? He's coming soon. Why is he coming? Why is Jesus coming back? Jesus is coming back to judge the world and to establish the final state of things, to judge the world and to establish the final state of things. And to understand that, you need to understand the Bible as a whole. Now, I know a lot of you are going to say, you know, Smiley, I've heard this over and over again, and that's good because I'm trying to do two things. I want you to understand the one story of the Bible so that you can make sense out of the world we live in. And secondly, I'm trying to equip you. I'm trying to equip you so that you can share your faith with others. So the Bible is one story. It's called the gospel, but it has four chapters. Four chapters, and those chapters are creation, redemption, uh, no, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Will you say that with me? Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Let's do that one more time. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That's the Bible as a whole. It, that's the story. And it answers the questions. Where did everything come from? It answers the question, what went wrong? Why did we just have a hurricane? Why are there hurricanes? It answers that question. How do we fix it? Where is history headed? Those are the questions the gospel answers. So <clears throat> let's start with creation. Where did everything come from? And I share with you all the time the most important verse in the Bible is the? Thank you. The first one. So how does the Bible begin with creation? And it answers the question, where did everything come from? And notice what it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and sometimes it's hard to believe in creation. But listen, it's easier to believe in creation than to believe in anything else. Because if, if it was in the beginning nothing, if it was in the beginning nothing, what would we have now? Nothing. Because nothing would create what? Nothing. So in the beginning was God, and God spoke, and everything that is came into being out of nothing. And... <laughs> And I want you to understand we were created for a person and a place. Deep down in our hearts, we long for a person and a place. And our first parents had that person in place. They walked with God on earth, and it was paradise on earth. And that's what we long for. 
Our hearts long to do life with God on earth in paradise. And once it was. <laughs> and then we say, well, what happened? What happened was called the fall, right? That our first parents sinned against God and that wrecked everything. And what I mean by wrecked everything, no person, no place. When our first parents sinned against God, they were separated from God. And we've all been separated from God by our sin. And no place, all of creation was wrecked. Didn't we see that last week? Didn't we see a storm that came in and wiped out everything? You ever wonder, why did God create a world with hurricanes? He didn't. Hurricanes are the result of the fall. The fall wrecked everything. No person, no place. Well, how do we fix it? Well, we can't fix it, but Jesus can. That's chapter 3. That's redemption. That Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to undo all that sin had wrecked. That's what our passage here is talking about. When the Old Testament prophets spoke about the coming of Jesus, uh, they, they blended his first and second coming together. They would talk about a suffering servant, and they would talk about a conquering king, but they were looking ahead, and they couldn't see as clearly as we can that Jesus came once, and he's coming again, that he came once as a suffering servant, and he'll come again as a conquering king. So in verse 2, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, Jesus, will rise with healing in its wings. We have a terrible disease. It's called sin. So Jesus came to save us from our sin with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. So we have a fatal disease called sin. And the Bible says the moment we believe in Jesus, the penalty for sin we're freed from. We're freed from the penalty of sin. That's called justification. The moment we believe Jesus takes our sins and we're forgiven and, and he gives us his righteousness, he frees us from the penalty of sin. There's also the power of sin. The moment we believe in Jesus, the power of sin is broken in our life. That's what sanctification is, that we can grow in becoming more and more like Christ. The power of sin is broken, but it's still there. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we can make progress in sanctification. One day soon, we're going to go to be with Jesus, or he's going to come here, and the very presence of sin will be removed from our lives, and that's what's called glorification. Don't you long for the day when we'll be able to sin no more? So Jesus came, and we've already, who believe in Jesus, we've been set free from the penalty of sin. The power has been broken, and with great anticipation, we look to that day when the presence of sin will be removed altogether. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him and Horeb for all Israel, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So we hear about Moses and we hear about Elijah. Moses gave us the law and Elijah was the first of all the prophets. What these two verses say, everything in the Old Testament pointed to the coming of Jesus. The law pointed to Jesus. The prophets pointed to Jesus. And don't we read in the New Testament that the John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah? Isn't that what verse 6 is? He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children 
in the hearts of children to the fathers so that I will not come and smite the lamb with a curse. Didn't John come saying, listen, prepare your hearts, receive the king, here comes the king? Huh. Moses and the prophets. Remember? Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember that story? That Jesus takes with him Peter and James and John, they go up on the mountain, right? And, uh, and Jesus' glory that had been veiled was, was unveiled. Don't you love how Mark puts it? says that Jesus' garments were whiter than any launder on earth could make them. And, and who was with Jesus on the mountain? It was Moses, right? And it was Elijah. Because everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Um, so, when we believe in Jesus, we're living in chapter 3 in redemption. And uh, the, the penalty for sin has, uh, we've been freed from and the power of sin has been broken. But we look forward to, to what's to come when the very presence of sin will be removed. We have the person now that we were created for and saved for, but we don't have the place, right? That we're doing life with Jesus, but we're not in the place that our hearts long for. And that's why the serenity prayer is so good. The serenity prayer says that with Jesus, we can be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy in the life to come. Don't you love that? We can be reasonably happy in this life because we have the person our hearts long for, but we're not in the place. But in the future, we'll be supremely happy because we'll have the person and place that our hearts were longed long for. And then that brings us to the fourth chapter, which is consummation, that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, and He's coming to judge the world and establish the final state of things. Jesus is coming to judge the world and establish the final state of things. Oh, and there will be three big events associated with that day. Uh, let me show you. In, in Matthew 25, <clears throat> what's it going to be like on that day? But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, you ever dream about that day? I mean, when Jesus came the first time, His glory was veiled, right? The Christmas carol, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. But when Jesus comes again, we will see Him in all of His glory. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, do you see Him surrounded by all the angels? He will sit on His glorious throne. And we will see Jesus seated on His throne. Now notice, all the nations will be gathered before Him. All the people that have ever lived will be raised bodily from the grave. There will be a resurrection of all people. So when Jesus comes, what's going to happen? Everyone's going to be raised from the dead. And you say, well, how could he do that? Well, that's why the first verse in the Bible is the most important, right? It is, right? Because if God said, let there be, and everything came into being out of nothing, it won't tax him to raise all the people who've ever lived. So all the people who have ever lived will be raised from the grave and they will stand before his throne and Jesus will be the judge. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left and he will judge and people will be separated. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? You want some really good news? The judge is our Savior. The judge is our Savior. The one who will judge us is our Savior. The one we've trusted. He's the one. Listen, we know Him, and better yet, He knows us. Did you know on the judgment day that our Savior will be the judge? And that's why it will go well for us on that day, right? He'll say, I knew you, and I knew you, 
and I, you welcome. Come on in. Oh, listen to verse 46 of the same chapter. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So we'll all be raised up. We'll stand before the judgment seat, and Jesus will separate us. Some will have eternal life and some eternal punishment. I want you to see the word for eternal. The same word that's used for eternal life is used to describe eternal punishment. Because there are many people today who say they believe in eternal life, but they don't believe in eternal punishment. There's no biblical reason to hold to that view. So, we're all going to be raised up, a judgment day, eternal life for those who believe, eternal death for those who, who die in their sins. So you say, well, Smiley, what happens to people who die in their sin? What happens to people who die in their sin? Um, think for a moment about our country. Let's say someone robs a bank. Someone robs a bank in our country and they get caught by the police. Where do they go? They go to? They go to jail. Because jail is what? A temporary holding place. People go to jail to wait for their day in court. They're in jail while they wait their day in court. So first they go to jail, a temporary place. And then when they go to court, if they're found guilty, then where are they sent? To prison, a long-term holding place. When people die in their sins, their bodies are laid in the grave and their spirits immediately go to hell where they're separated from God and from all good things, where they wait in a temporary place for the resurrection of their body, the last judgment, and they will be condemned, and both body and spirit will be cast into hell forever. That's what awaits those who die in their sin. This week I'm talking with a lady, and she was saying how she really struggled to believe that hell would be unending. And so I showed her a verse in 2 Thessalonians, we just finished reading recently. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, these, those who die in their sins, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Hell will be no person, no place. No person, no place. People often say, well, you know, Smiley, the weather will be better in heaven, but the company will be better in hell. No, no. Hell is separation from God and from all good things. So that's what happens to those who die in their sin. What happens to those who die in Christ? What happens to those who die in Christ? Listen, if you're a Christian, you need to know that eternal life begins the moment we believe in Jesus. And the moment we believe in Jesus, we get eternal life, and that life for us is good and better and best. Eternal life is good right now in the present state because we get to do life with the person our hearts long for. We get to do life with Jesus. It gets better when a Christian dies. When a Christian dies, their body is laid in their grave, but their spirit immediately goes to heaven to be with Jesus. I mean, you remember what Jesus told the thief on the cross, right? He said what? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. But the best, what we long for, is one day heaven will come to earth. And when heaven comes to earth, when Jesus comes back, our bodies are going to be raised up and we're going to be perfect in body and spirit and we'll spend eternity on a new earth where everything sad and broken has become untrue. That's what awaits those who die in Christ. 
people are forever. Choose your eternity very carefully. That's what we were reading in Malachi verse 5. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. That day will be great for many and terrible for others. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. How often people say to me, well, well Smiley, Smiley, how could a loving God, how could a loving God send people to hell forever? And I say, well, that's a pretty good question, but I've got a better question for you. And they'll say, what's that? And I said, how could a loving God send people to heaven who don't want to be there? How could a loving God send people to heaven who don't want to be there? Don't you understand? Jesus came to earth. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose. He offers us eternal life. He offers us. He pleads with us, come, let's do life together. Let's do eternity together. And people say, no, I don't want to do life with you. No, I don't want to do eternity. And in the end, Jesus gives us exactly what we want. If you want to do life with Jesus, if you want to do eternity with Jesus, you can by believing in him. But if you don't want to do life with him, and you don't want to do eternity, he won't force that on you. There will not be compulsory heaven for all. So, so what have we learned that Jesus is coming? He's coming soon. It's really, really important that we're prepared are you? He's coming to judge the world and then to establish the final state of things. Choose your eternity very, very carefully. And, and that leads me to the action step of today. What I want you to do more than anything is to be prepared, to be prepared. I share with you often the amount of preparation we put into something should be in direct proportion to the certainty of that event. The amount of preparation we put into something should be in direct proportion to the certainty of that event. Jesus said he's coming back. He is. Be prepared. Well, how can we be prepared for that day? The first step in being prepared is to believe in Jesus, isn't it? Remember what we read in John 14, 6? <clears throat> Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Some people say, just one way? How can there be just one way? Is that you? You know, when people say just one way, what I know is they don't understand the bad news of the gospel. Because when we understand the bad news of the gospel, we say, there's a way? There's a way that I could go to heaven? There's a way? Yes. Let me show you the bad news of the gospel. Because when you understand that, you understand how good it is that there is a way. In Malachi 4, verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be like chaff. Listen, we have a problem called sin. Do you know what sin means? That we are arrogant and we are evildoers. And because we're arrogant and evildoers, we commit crime after crime against God. And I want you to know there's two kinds of arrogant evildoers. There are sinners. And sinners are those who say, I don't want a Savior. Sinners say, I know the path to happiness better than God. I will do life my way. So sinners disobey their parents. And sinners engage in sex outside of marriage. And sinners steal and lie and covet and say, I don't want a Savior. And because they're arrogant, they commit evil. 
So those are what I would call sinner sinners. But do you know there are religious people too? And do you know that religious people are arrogant? And religious people are evildoers? Because religious people say, I don't need a Savior. I can save myself. Is there anything worse than saying that Jesus died for nothing? That I don't need a Savior? I'm so darn good, I can save myself? But one thing that's true of all of us, whether we are sinner sinners or religious sinners, we're all arrogant evildoers who have sinned against God and what we deserve is hell. And when we understand that, we hear there's a way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way, and that is the best news ever. You know why Jesus is the way and the only way? Because he's unique. He's God made man. I mean, he came into the world in a unique way. He was virgin born, right? Fully God and fully man. He's unique. You know why he's the way? He's the only one who's ever lived who lived a perfect life. No one else could, ever did. So no one else could save us. And because he could, had never sinned, he could go to the cross and die in our place as a substitute to atone for our sins. So our sins were placed on Jesus. And he experienced the wrath of God that our sins deserve. And then he rose on the third day. You know why Jesus is unique? Because he walked out of the grave. That's what makes him unique. Prop proving he had conquered sin and death, and he offers to us eternal life as a free gift, which is the forgiveness of sins. It's the chance to do life and eternity with Jesus. And how do we get this free gift? It's by faith, right? I mean, what did Jesus say? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, smiling, how do we, how do we come to the Father through Jesus? It's through faith. It's through saving faith which really is as simple as A and B and C where we admit and believe and commit. And listen, if you've never done that, won't you do that now uh, as, as I share with you how, what it means to believe? Or I'd be glad to help you as we close in prayer. But listen, to come to the Father through Jesus is to admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you. I've been arrogant. I've been an evildoer. I've sinned. Will you say that? It's to believe, Jesus, I believe you're the way. You're the way, not me. You're the way. I believe that you died and rose for me. It's to commit. It's to quit trusting that we can save ourselves. <laughs> and it's to say, Jesus, I'm going to transfer my trust from trusting in me to trusting in you. Jesus, I want to trust you. Come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life, won't you? It's to trust Jesus as Lord. I'm tired of rebelling against you. You come in. You take over. Help me be the person you want me to be. And he will, if you will, won't you? Oh, and if you have, man, first we enter in and we find Jesus is the way. And then we discover Jesus is the truth. He's the truth. We get a way, we get truth, and he's the life. So to be prepared for, for Jesus coming back, we need to believe in Jesus. Secondly, we need to abide in Jesus. Oh, we need to abide in Jesus. In 1 John chapter 2, Verse 28, now little children abide in him. Uh, abide in him, it means to be with a friend who loves you and stay there. You believe in him, now stay there. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Um, I know a lot of people and their plan to be prepared for that day is they're trying to figure out exactly when Jesus is coming back and then try and be prepared at the last moment. There's at least two problems with that, right? One would be what? 
Or no one knows. What if he had the timing wrong? Wouldn't eternity be a terrible thing to waste? But you know what the second problem there is? If you don't want to do life with Jesus, why would you want to spend eternity with Jesus? And if you want to spend eternity with Jesus, why wouldn't you want to do life with Jesus? Why would you want to wait to do life with Him? Now, now here's my plan. Since no one knows when He's coming, to me, instead of asking, when is He coming? I say, what do I want to be doing when He comes back? What do I want to be doing when He comes back? And then I want to do that every day of my life so that whatever day He comes back, He finds me doing what I want to be doing, right? And is that what it says here? Now, little children, abide in Him. Be with a friend who loves you and stay there so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him and shame at His coming. So you know what my plan is? Every Sunday morning until I go home or Jesus comes back, I want to be here. I want to be here because you know what? If Jesus comes back and I'm in worship, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not at home looking at pornography on my computer. I'm not getting drunk. I'm not sleeping with someone. You know where I am? I'm here, right? I'm here and I'm ready for Him to come. And you know where I am on Sunday evening, where I want to be until Jesus comes back in my small group, opening up the Scriptures so that I'm doing what I want to do rather than doing what I don't want to be doing when He comes. And every morning... And every morning, what I want to do is get up and have breakfast with Jesus because I want to be doing, I want to be spending time with him when he comes back. And if he catches me, listen, having breakfast with him, it's a really good time for him to come back, right? And when I see Jesus every morning, I see how beautiful he is. And he says, follow me. So throughout the day, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me follow him because if I'm following him when Jesus comes back, it really doesn't matter where he comes back because I'm prepared, right? And I want to be doing this together until he comes back so that we gather together and remind each other Jesus is coming, that we gather in small group and we encourage each other Jesus is coming, be prepared. So if, we're, um, if we want to be prepared when Jesus returns, the first step is to believe in Jesus. And then the second step is to abide in Jesus. And the third step to me would be to share Jesus with others. If you're a Christian... You know why you're still here on earth? You're here for others. <laughs> I mean, your eternity is already secure, and Jesus leaves us here as his body for others. In John 17, Jesus is praying for us. Do you know that Jesus prays for us now? Isn't that cool he prays for us? And here's how he prays for us. John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. How many people say, well, Smiley, what's God's purpose for my life? What's God's? Here it is. Jesus says that if we would study what his purpose in life was, we would know what ours is. Because what he says is, Father, as you sent me into the world to seek and save the lost, I send my people. Listen, you're sent. You've been given the Holy Spirit so that you can go and represent Jesus where you live and work and play. And as we've heard today, how people are forever. It's either eternal life or eternal punishment. Who is it? Who is it that you love? Who is it that you know that you really need to go and share with them? Who is it? Won't you go and share? Uh, listen, we have made it really, really easy for you. I mean, I know you leave here and say, you know, Smiley preaches the gospel every week. I've heard it a thousand times. I could do it in my sleep. And you can and that's exactly why I told you a thousand times, so you could do it in your sleep. 
And to help you, we, we put what you hear every week in a Do You Know booklet. All you need to do is to go and read it to someone. Who do you want to go and share with? Won't you talk to Jesus first and then go and talk to that person about Jesus? And you can just read to them about the bad news and good news and invite them to respond. You've heard it a thousand times. Listen, you've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been taught. You can do it. I, I'm with some folks this week, and we're praying and, and you know what this guy prayed? Jesus, give me a greater love for lost people. What if we really loved the people around us and saw the, them as hell-bound sinners and we have what they need to hear? Wouldn't we ask the Holy Spirit to open up a door for us to go and share, wouldn't he? Um, listen, I, I taught you this morning about the, the four chapters. You know why? Because I want to equip you not only to understand the world but to share your faith. I mean, maybe this week someone will say to you, listen, the world is so broken. Or someone says, listen, the world's just getting worse and worse. Listen, you're equipped. You've heard the stories over and over again. You can say, hmm. so how do you think history ends? Where do you think history is headed? Listen to them. Listen, if they ask you back, hey, could I share with you what we learned in church on Sunday? What we learned in church on Sunday was the whole story of the Bible is four chapters. It's creation and redemption, consum and, uh, <clears throat> creation and fall and redemption and consummation. You see, creation answers the question, where did everything come from? And the fall answers why the world is broken. And redemption is how Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But the best chapter is chapter 4. Jesus is coming back. And if all those who believe in him get the person and place they've always wanted for, wouldn't you like to spend all of eternity on a new earth, wouldn't you? You can, you know. You really, really can. You can do it. You can do it. You've heard it. You can do it. <laughs> uh, so what have we learned? We've learned that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. It's so important we're prepared. Listen, the way we can be prepared is to believe in Jesus. It's to abide in Jesus. It's to share Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful that you're the way. We're thankful. There's a way for arrogant evildoers. There's a way for arrogant evildoers to be forgiven and live forever through believing in you. Thank you. And listen, if you're here and you've never prepared uh, by receiving Jesus, by believing in him, won't you? He's here. One day it'll be too late. Won't you take advantage of this time to believe won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and, and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. and Help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've done that for the first time, way to go. Won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Oh, Jesus, I pray for all of us who've put our faith in you that we would not only believe in you, but we would abide in you, that we would be with a friend who loves us and stay there, that, that we would worship and, and do small group and have breakfast with you and follow you all week long so that whenever you come, you find us abiding in you. And Lord, help us to share you with others. Listen, who is it that you want to share with? Won't, won't you ask Jesus to help you have an opportunity this week? 
Holy Spirit, give us a greater love for others. Help us to go and share with others the wonderful good news that someone shared with us. And Lord, this week when we have conversations, help us to remember how we were taught about creation and fall and redemption and consummation. And may we be able to point others toward you by sharing what we learned this week. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.